Good evening. It is good to see each of you. It's good to be together to worship God. What wonderful singing we've had this morning and tonight. It's good to be together to open God's Word and study from it. And if you will, turn back to Philippians, the fourth chapter. I'd like to give you some thoughts tonight as we continue in this study of contentment. And it's things that just kind of bled over from putting together the lesson this morning of other things that just wouldn't fit in that lesson. Uh, and so the outline is not as clean as what I like, but I think it'll still be worth our time to spend some time thinking about even some other passages uh, that complement this study to help us have a better understanding of contentment. Our fourth and fifth graders had a tremendous retreat this Weekend, And we're thankful that they're home tonight. You'll look around and see some of the dark green hoodies. And that's the ones that have been on that retreat. We appreciate Joe Parton and his leadership as a deacon over this ministry. And I love it when a deacon is fired up and says, hey, can you mention a few things? And, and I want to mention a few things. It's a very, very great weekend that they've had. Their theme was reach. And it was the idea of reaching for God's truth, reaching out to others. They had 36 fourth and fifth graders to go. Now, isn't that amazing? Just fourth and fifth graders had 36 to go on the retreat. And also he wants to give a big shout out to some of the ones that led in certain capacities. Uh, Kim Yop did the Friday Devo and the lesson this morning for the Sunday morning service. Mike Kibbe did a Devo. Uh, the girls breakout Devos, Christy Coleman and Melissa Welch did those. Uh, Sherry Keeby did a tremendous job, I understand, on crafts, and that's no surprise. Uh, also, uh, there were many parents that went that, that were also chaperones, and of course, each one of those appreciated, uh, but especially we say a big thank you to the fourth and fifth graders that went. What a wonderful way to invest their life and their energy in serving God and learning more about Him and being in fellowship with others, and we appreciate them, and we appreciate the good things that took place this weekend. We're thankful this morning that Amber Hopkins was baptized into Christ at the early service, and uh, I want to thank you. Uh, as a congregation for the wonderful generosity that you gave uh, to Lacey and Clint this afternoon and their uh, marriage tea and their wedding tea uh, that, that you hosted as a congregation. Uh, you know, a little bit over 14 years ago, we moved here. And uh, obviously, it goes without saying, we moved here to work with you as a congregation and, and to preach. But we also very intentionally wanted to move here to become a part of you. And... Um, and you've allowed that, and we appreciate that so much. It has been a huge blessing uh, for us to raise our children here at Mount Juliet, and uh, we thank you for just letting us be a part of your family, and I hope we have a whole lot more years to do this together. God is good. There's a lot of work to do until he comes again, and let's be faithful to him, and let's serve each other, uh, and let's serve God as we serve each other, and let's stay faithful to him. Don't forget that tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening, is going to be a wonderful time here, beginning at 7 o'clock, the Veterans Day program. Uh, we want to give honor to veterans and to their families, and everyone's invited, but especially those of you that are veterans, be sure and let others out in the community know about this. And if you are wanting to help serve, please meet John Michael just right here in this section immediately following service. It won't be a long meeting, but just so everybody can get on the same page uh, with that and that will be greatly appreciated. I'd like for us to begin again by reading our text that we read this morning and 
Many of you are here this morning, and so you have fresh on your mind after studying this text. And I'd like for you to just notice it again. I'd like for you to notice how he talks about a couple of times the word learn. And because he has learned, he can also talk a few times about what he knows. And so look at that as we read here. Uh, the fourth chapter of Philippians, we'll begin at verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know, so he's learned it. So now he says, I know how to be abased. That's humble. And I know how to abound. That's the idea of prosperity. Everywhere, remember he's in prison as he's writing this, and in all things, remember how many times he was beaten and persecuted? So no matter where, in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This kind of contentment is something that we can't gain by just reading secular books. This type of contentment is, is not the result of someone just saying, I want to pull from my higher self and I want to practice self-control. This kind of contentment is that that is found only whenever we form a life where our entire existence is based upon a relationship with God and being content in however He chooses or needs to use us for His greater cause. When we have become a part of the Lord's kingdom, we have signed up to be workers, laborers in a kingdom that is far more important than any of us individually. And so if the Lord needs to use some of us from very humble means, we ought to be able to say, Lord, I'm content with that if that's the way you need to use me. And if he needs to use some of us in honorable means, we need to be humbly content with that and give God all the glory. I couldn't help but smile when I saw this, this illustration on this next slide here. Uh, I'd like for you to meet this family from they're ranchers from North Dakota, Dunn Center, North Dakota. They're in their 80s. His name is Oscar and her name is Laureen Stollers. All around them in North Dakota in the past several years, four or five years, they've been finding oil on people's property. And he always kidded around and said, well, if they ever find oil on my little farm, I'm going to buy a convertible Cadillac and I'm going to put big horns on the front of it. Well, wouldn't you know, they found oil on their property. So almost overnight, they became millionaires. They did decide to go ahead and get away from the oil rigs and, and they bought a house in Bueller. They paid cash for it, but it was a very modest house. And it was their 60th anniversary. So he splurged and he bought her a thousand dollar ring. He also decided he was going to splurge. She always loved her flowers so much. He went ahead and he had an automatic watering system, a sprinkler system put into her flower beds. But when I read this article, I couldn't help but just as you get a big smile out of just the tone of how they always thought if they ever got a lot of money that they would spend it. And then they got a lot of money and they 
didn't see anything they wanted. And she finally summed it up. This is the last two lines out of the article. This is her summary. We got enough money now to buy new stuff, Lorraine said, but we like our old stuff. Now there's something I like about that kind of contentment. But even though I like that kind of contentment, that's not exactly what we're studying tonight. And that's why I wanted to read you that to help you try to see that we're not just saying, let's all come up with some kind of mental exercise where we discipline ourselves to say, I will not buy anything new ever again. But yet at the same time, we need to make sure that we aren't driven by this. Remember the, the idea of contentment is to be full and satisfied. And if we're constantly being fed by the media and the advertising today, we are convinced that we are drained and empty. And so in that sense, it's very similar. But the answer is not to just say, okay, I'm going to cut off all television and I'm not going to look at any billboards or any magazines, although we'd probably be better off if we did that. But, but say, I'm not going to do all those things because I just want to find this life of contentment. Brethren, if you leave Christ out of it, you still haven't found the life of contentment that is the real life of contentment. And so that's what we're trying to do in this study is figure out how is it that we still live and how is it that we can long for things? How is it that we can still go out and buy things, but yet still be people who are content? How is it that I could want a certain job or a promotion or whatever it might be and still be a person who is content? And so with this in mind, I want to urge you to remember, just by way of review, it's a learning exercise. We just emphasized that a while ago when we read the text. You're not going to know this by nature. You're not going to know this just because you happen to be a good person. We will only know this kind of contentment if we're willing to learn. I want to read to you the quote again by uh, Jeremy Bruffoff. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I love that quote. The idea to say, Lord, I'm yours. I submit to you and I will even delight in however you choose to use me in your service. And so when we go back to verse 11, we see that it's not just about need. Notice when Paul began verse 11 in the New King James Version, he says, not that I speak in regard to need. If you're reading out of the New American Standard Bible, he says, not that I speak from want. His idea of speaking of contentment is not, keep in mind, this is right in the verses where he's saying, thank you for supporting me. Thank you for sending gifts to me. But he's not saying it as if to say, because I was so desperate and won and I was about to give up and I was about to give in. He's making it very clear. I deeply appreciate the gift that you sent, but I'm a content person. So I plan on taking and using. And if you read on just a few verses down, he even says, and the fruit that he's going to win because they gave the money, he says, God will put it to your account. And so he takes this gift and he uses it in a very spiritual manner and gives them the, the buildup, the praise from a spiritual mindset also. Let's skip a slide. And so I'd like to ask you this question. Can we say, I have learned to be content? 
that in mind, I want to share with you, in preparing for this lesson, I read probably four or five different sermons and a lot of chapters and different books. And there was one particular sermon where a fellow outlined four things that he said he believes are enemies of contentment. And so just quickly, you know, this morning we went over six things that were part of the lifestyle of individuals. Remember, we started right there, Philippians 4, chapter, verse 1, the lifestyle of those who could be content. Well, what are enemies of contentment? Number one, unrealistic expectations. You know, we sometimes aren't content with our children because we place unrealistic expectations on them. We're sometimes not content with our spouses because we aren't real in the expectations we place upon them. Sometimes there may be a best friend that they just seem to always let us down, but the reality is we haven't been fair in the level of expectation that we placed upon them. I'm not saying that's always the problem. I'm simply saying to you that if we place unfair expectations upon people, we're going to continually find ourselves discontent. It'll be like everybody always lets us down. I need to evaluate. What do I expect out of this week? Am I being fair in what I expect out of this week? If my expectations are too high, I will not find contentment. Number two, unfair comparisons. Unfair comparisons. Go through life always comparing yourself to others. And it will lead you to envy, to covetousness, to discord among the brethren. It will lead to almost everything that is bad and wicked, and it will never help you arrive at contentment. How can you be satisfied with yourself, contentment, satisfied, and also satisfied with others? Listen, if I do not see you as a competitor, but instead, I see you as a brother and sister in Christ. You can achieve the highest marks and I will say, praise God. But if I see you as a competitor, what can I do except to become envious and to grow angry? Isn't it interesting when Paul looked at himself? You remember how he compared himself to others? Remember he said, I'm the chief among sinners. I need to make sure that I realize how important it is to not go through life in that comparison game. Number three, you'll never find contentment if you're always having unnoticed blessings in your life. You know what next week is, don't you? I would be greatly disappointed if this was a Bible class and, and I opened it up for discussion. I said, what are we going to do next Sunday? And if, if one of you didn't say it, I would just almost pout and walk out. Now, somebody has to know what next Sunday is. Next Sunday and at the very latest next Wednesday night is a time that we say, hey, everybody get out your pieces of paper and start writing at least 10 things a day that you're thankful for. You know what we need to do? We need to start a few weeks earlier one year and we need to write a thousand things that we're thankful for. But isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how many blessings we take for granted? 
really, when you think about it, we have a very difficult time as Americans separating luxuries and needs. What is a need? Bread and water would be a need. Clothing would be a need. And some kind of shelter to put your head under at night would probably be classified as a need. And brethren, most everything else is a luxury. But do you see it that way? You see, it's hard to find contentment when we think that God owes us air conditioning. God owes us to be able to just go and move that needle a little bit in our house, either warms up or gets cooler. He owes us that. You know that, right? He owes us the opportunity to have an automatic car. You don't even have to shift the gears anymore. Isn't that amazing? You don't even have to walk anymore. You can own a car. He owes you that. I want to encourage you to realize that one of the great accomplishments of people who are content is they truly are grateful. Unnoticed blessings ought to be ashamed to us that we would regularly stop and thank God for warm showers, our nice homes, our not just comfortable clothes, but several changes of comfortable clothes. But fourth, uncontrolled ambition. God wants us to be zealous, but God never intends for our zeal to be to promote self. You remember when Jesus really came out in a strong way? You remember him braiding the cord, the whip, and he drove them out of the temple. Why? Because they hurt his feelings? No, he did it because he was standing up for God. Listen, let's make sure that our zeal moves us to always stand for God. Our zeal moves us to stand for righteousness. Let's make sure that it's never our zeal where we are trying to promote ourselves. Those four are enemies of content. And let's make sure that those are never a part of our life. This morning, I... I made this statement to you. I would like to use it as a launching ground now to look at a couple of quotes and a couple of passages. Contentment is more accurately a reflection about the statement of one's spiritual life rather than the statement of their bank account. Do you really believe that? Do you realize that you can be just as content if your bank account has many zeros on it or if it only has a couple? The contentment we're talking about tonight does not have to do with how much of money or possessions that you have. That's not the contentment we're talking about tonight. One Republic has a song out right now, and it's written from the idea that a kid's grandfather was a preacher, and he talked about God, and he was a teacher, and he taught him many things. And I'd like for you to notice the last two lines that are here on the slide. This is what this kid says about his, his grandfather that was a preacher. He was a million miles from a million dollars, but you could never spend his wealth. Do you have that kind of contentment that 
You can't measure that kind of contentment. It's so great. And the beautiful thing is, when our contentment is coming from the Lord, it never runs dry. That's a beautiful thought. It never runs dry. A.W. Tozier said, the man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. That makes life pretty simple, doesn't it? There's my God. He's everything to me. He fulfills me. He satisfies me. I live for him. I long for him. I plan on spending eternity with him. I'm going to live for him and die in him so that I can live eternally. All things in one. What are you going to do in a bad day? I'm turning to him. What are you going to do in a good day? I'm turning to him. When everything about our life is based upon him. 1 Timothy 6 and 6 sums up today probably as well as any single passage. I think it's only seven words long. I hope that this passage rings in your mind. I hope that you drive to work tomorrow morning thinking about this passage. I hope you're pillowing your head tonight thinking about, have I achieved this? Think how simple but how powerful and profound this is. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. When someone is not satisfied, they're not content. All they want is more, more, more. And whatever it is, give me more power. Give me more popularity. Give me more in this relationship. This person isn't doing enough for me. Give me more of this money. What about when someone says, I want to serve God. I want to be everything that God would want me to be. That kind of godliness with contentment isn't interesting. It's great gain. That's what greed longs for. Greed longs for great gain. And yet the great gain is not found through greed. The great gain is found through godliness and contentment. Have we learned this? 1 Timothy 6 and 7. I'd like for you to go back to one of those enemies a while ago, the unnoticed blessings. 1 Timothy 6 and 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. I don't know everything to do with that verse. But I know I need to think on it and I need to meditate upon it and I need to pray about it and I need to figure out, have I found that kind of contentment? What if the Lord gives me food and water and clothing? Am I going to say thank you? And that's enough. That's literally what the idea of contentment is. It's enough. I'm satisfied I'm full. It is enough. I'm humbled when the Puritan sat down and all he had was bread and some water in front of him. And his response was to exclaim, what? All this? And Jesus Christ too? You see how that ties in? 
to Philippians 4, 11, 12, and 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't matter what all the other things are or what the other things are not. As long as we have Christ, it is all sufficient. I'd like to close by asking you to turn with me to the front of Philippians. I'd like for us to go to the first chapter. I'd like to remind you of a few verses. Philippians 1, beginning at verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or by death. Are you content with that? God, however you need to use me. If right now you, you need to use my death in order to magnify the kingdom, go ahead and use my death. Lord, if you need to use my life right now to magnify the kingdom, I'm content with that too. Go ahead and use my life. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This evening, I hope and pray that every one of us can find a growth in contentment. I do believe it's a part of our spiritual maturation. I don't believe we come out of the waters of baptism and know the depths of what we've studied today. I do believe, though, according to Paul, it can be learned. And so today, I just beg you, take this study of God's holy word and pray about it. And let's try to go out this week and take a step forward of contentment. I beg you, and I don't want to simplify this just to material things, but if this one little exercise would help, see if you can go all week without looking at something materialistic and saying, I need that. Maybe that'd be a good place to just break a bad habit. There may be a lot of things we want. But let's face it, there aren't many people in this room right now that really need anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so tonight we sing a song of invitation. And if Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, we encourage you to do that because you need Him. You need Him more than you need anything else. So if you're ready to become a Christian, we would love to see you do that. We know that the angels in heaven would rejoice and we would rejoice with you if you're a believer ready to repent of sins and confess before men. Maybe you've already become a Christian along the way. You've lost the way and you want to come back home. We would rejoice and love to encourage you in every way that we can. If you're ready to repent and confess sin, let's pray forgiveness. Let's leave here. As people who are content with all that Christ has given us, but that we would never find any measure of satisfaction separate from Him.